0: Uh, You know, there are various ways that you can begin a sermon. Sometimes it helps to start with something, thanks Mark, a a little bit lighter, maybe with a a story. Now, in an occasion where we've got an all-in, sometimes an object lesson, engage some of the children, Uh, but sometimes the text and the topic just doesn't lend itself to that, and I think today is one of those occasions. You know, we, we live in a world where there's, there's much beauty, there's much to give thanks for. God created it good, and yet it's also a world of great violence. Now, we see it with our eyes. We experience it in our lives. An abuse and a violence uh, can come at us in many ways. It can take many forms. You know, there, there's one-off incidents, Perhaps where someone hurls abuse at us. In the last few weeks, there seems to have been quite a lot of road rage at school pickup in Little Paxton. Are people hurling abuse in those one-off instances? Sometimes we live in a culture where we experience abuse or relationships where abuse is experienced. That might be in the home, school, at work. Tragically, even within churches. As a topic that we take very seriously at Kingfisher, we are working to update our safeguarding to help protect more and more uh, against abuse. And really, it should go without saying that if, if in listening to this, you know, you are suffering some sort of abuse, we don't want you to suffer alone. Now, and if you can, you get in contact with me, with, with Mark, with Rich. If because of what you faced It means reaching out to a man in leadership is a fearful thing. Diana Bass is our safeguarding officer. You can contact her. The details are on our website. Or perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know, I recognize this is an important topic. But it it doesn't really apply to to me and my life and what I've experienced. And yet, Scripture teaches us that this is a message that we do need to hear, despite of our current experiences. Because in the letter 1 Peter, this letter is written to the church. And it tells us to be prepared, to be armed, to be ready for the abuse that we will face as a church from the world as we seek to follow Christ. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 20 puts it like this if you suffer for doing good and you endure it it is commendable before God to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they held their insults at him he did not retaliate When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And it's with that lens of uh, 1 Peter that we're going to look at this passage uh, in Matthew this morning. Uh, And as we face abuse, whether that's potential, whether that's real, this question of what does it mean for us to fix our eyes on Christ? How do we fix our eyes on Christ in that situation? And we are going to consider our suffering saviour. How in Jesus we have a sympathetic sufferer and we have a sufficient saviour who is mighty to save. So we're looking this morning, Matthew 27, starting at verse 27. And I was speaking to a friend uh, the other week and they were talking about a medical procedure uh, that was uncomfortable, that was painful, that they were going through. And they spoke to the doctor and they said, you know, do you have any experience of going through this yourself? To which the doctor said, no. And they thought, well, you know, maybe you might be a little bit more understanding if you did have that experience. You know, the, this doctor, they, they had the medical knowledge, but they didn't have the sympathy. They didn't have the sympathy. They hadn't been through that experience Jesus is not like that. Jesus is one who is mighty to save, but is also our sympathetic sufferer. And sometimes in our pain, in what we suffer, we just want someone who understands, someone we can go to, who knows our pain, who's not stood off at a distance, but has experienced that themselves. And Jesus knows. Jesus understands. Verse 27. The governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him, took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And a Roman cohort, a company of soldiers, uh, would have numbered about 600 men. A term could refer to a smaller number, but either way, as we read this, this isn't talking about one or two Roman soldiers that are mocking Jesus. This is a big group. This is gang violence as they are reviling, as they are mocking Jesus, who's already been flogged, as we read in verse 26. Now as his body is broken, this gang of soldiers, these so-called defenders of the peace, abusing the king, mockingly pay homage, and constantly striking him, spitting at him. And that experience of being ganged up on, of being thrown around, of being abused for the sport of others, Jesus understands. And then verse 31, after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon and they forced him to carry the cross. So now having been flogged, having been abused, they lead Jesus out to be crucified and the weight of the cross beam across his shoulders is too much for him to bear. As he staggers, as he's not able to continue this journey, as he falls down, In his moment of greatest need. And there is no friend there who is to help him and to support him. There's no Simon Peter. There's no James. There's no John. Left and abandoned by his friends. No friend to carry the cross for him. No friend to walk with him through his suffering. Instead the soldiers pick this random guy out of the crowd. We're given his name, Simon of Cyrene, uh, which suggests that he was later known among the disciples. He became a follower of Christ. But here at this point in time, he is just a stranger. And this is no act of benevolence. The soldiers have just taken him. They've forced him to carry the cross. He hasn't volunteered this. Jesus is there alone, friendless, staggering up that hill. And that experience of abandonment. Now, when your friends leave you in your time of trial, Jesus understands. Verse 33, they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. It's often considered that this wine is given to Jesus as an act of kindness. uh, This mixture there to help dull the pain. But nothing from what we have seen, what we've read so far, suggests that these soldiers have any kindness in them. And Matthew's choice of the word gall here, it throws us back it's this allusion to the Psalms, to Psalm 69. And in Psalm 69, it speaks of these cruel acts that are disguised as kindness, that are disguised as this comfort. And it may well be that this wine that is offered to Jesus is just yet another cruel and sadistic joke played by the soldiers. This wine that is laced with a bitter taste. So the moment of feeling dehydrated, of feeling exhausted, and there's this promise of comfort that is put before. And yet it's another joke. Mocking a dying man. And then Jesus is stripped of his clothes. He's hung on the cross. Now there's some evidence that a loincloth may have been provided Uh, For certain groups because of, of Jewish sensitivities. But on the whole and most likely when people were crucified they were stripped completely naked. The cross was not just about the maximum pain. It was about the maximum shame that you could put on an individual. They take his clothes off him. They divide them amongst themselves. And Jesus is hung there exposed for everyone to see. Crowds are walking past. And this means nothing to the soldiers who were sitting there, making the most of that opportunity of Jesus' exposure, seeking to profit from it themselves. They divide the clothes among themselves. They cast lots for the clothing. Another allusion to the psalm, Psalms 22. Those are experiences of cruelty that are disguised as kindness. Those are experiences of public humiliation and shame. Something that Jesus understands. Verse 37, above his head they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. He's a king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And the mocking and the insults, they continue as Jesus is hanging there, struggling for breath. The crowds, they breathe out their words of mockery and cruelty. Taking and twisting Jesus' words uh, against him. So you said you were going to come and destroy the temple. You're going to rebuild it in three days. Come on and prove yourself. There words that are a result of, of hearsay, what they've heard, and they take hearsay and they join in with that mocking. And then in another allusion to Psalm 22, the religious leaders, they call into question the Father's love. You know, let God rescue him now. Come on, if God wants him, let God rescue him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And then even those who are crucified with Jesus. Now those you would expect to have some sympathy for his suffering. Heap insults on him. And that experience of feeling alone and abandoned. Misunderstood. Written off by everyone. Jesus understands. So Jesus understands We can always come to Jesus in our sufferings. He is our sympathetic sufferer. And yet, left just there, it comes really as an empty comfort. See, sympathy may share in our sorrows, but it's powerless to bring about a change in them. And yet Jesus is not merely a sympathetic sufferer. He is one who is mighty to save. And in Jesus we see that we have a sufficient Savior. And throughout this passage in Matthew 27, we have these different allusions to the Psalms, most notably Psalm 22, Psalm 69. As we've spoken about before, in the New Testament when you see these references to the Old Testament. They're much more than just proof texts. They're like these gateways. And these gateways that invite us to look at this bigger picture and see what's going on. And in these Psalms, Psalms 22 and Psalms 69, though they speak of suffering, they also speak of God's vindication, of ultimately of God's rescue. And it declares that at the end of the day, the justice of God will have the final say this world of violence will not continue that there is a day and there is a day coming there is one day where every tear in this life will finally be wiped away and it is a day that is certain because Jesus has risen from the dead and that is the way that we are heading to perhaps we get a a little bit ahead of ourselves here The focus is not so much on the resurrection, but we've got these hints of it. And we see those hints in these psalms and these allusions. This is where it's heading. But now in this passage, there's another kind of deliverance that is going on. And the people of Israel, they were looking for the Messiah for the king, for the deliverer. This was a nation that was under the oppression of Rome the abuse of Rome. And there was a hope among some that this Messiah would come in and he would free and he would rescue them from the oppression, from the abuse of Rome that they were facing. Now that the Roman soldiers in our passage that they abuse and that they mock the king of the Jews shouldn't really come as much of a surprise. And yet what is shocking... Um, Perhaps is isn't so surprising to us because we're familiar with this passage. But what is shocking is that it is those in Jerusalem, that the city of the king, who share in that same mocking abuse of the Roman soldiers. You see, those who are oppressed by Rome, those who are suffering the abuse of Rome, And those who are called to be a light in the darkness have joined hands with the darkness. And those who are being oppressed have joined in together with the oppressor. Because the deliverance that we need is not just a deliverance from the evil that comes at us, but also this deliverance from the evil that comes from within us. In his autobiography, Prison Without Bars, Graham Swan uh, speaks of his own life in this way. From that day forward, not a single person bothered me again, but at what cost? I'd been beaten down, bullied, abused, and oppressed for years. But though I was no longer the victim, I crossed over to the dark side. I became the aggressor. And as we face oppression, as we face, as we suffer abuse, it is easy for us to turn into the oppressor. And sometimes that comes in in subtle ways, sometimes in not so subtle ways, as was the case in Graham Swan's life. And yet, there is freedom from this way of life. There is freedom that came to, to Graham through Jesus. It's freedom that comes to us, and Jesus calls us to this better way. Look at verse 37. Above his head, they place the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Gs. And this is a charge that is scrawled in irony, and yet it is the clearest declaration of what is happening here in this passage. Now, unlike uh, Mark and Luke, Matthew uh, uses the full inscription in his recording. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And we've seen already the importance of the name Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Now, you shall call him Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. What is it that is happening here on the cross? Well, the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the one who is given power and authority, is using his power to save his people from their sins. And everyone else in this passage, in their positions of power, they, they misuse it, they abuse their power. But Jesus here, he uses his power for the good of others. And the soldiers... The crowd, the religious leaders, they all assume that Jesus is this pretender, this person who is without power. Come down, they say, show us your power. Then we'll believe you. Come off the cross and reveal your power. But the power of God is displayed in the cross. And it's not that Jesus is lacking in power. Rather, he's abounding in mercy. See, Jesus remained on the cross, facing those insults from the crowd in order that we might die to sins, Live for righteousness. is by his wounds we are healed, and through what he suffers, now that, that penalty, that price for our sin, for our rebellion, for those times where we have joined hands with the darkness, that that price is paid by Christ, the power of sin is broken in order that we might live for righteousness so that we may go the way of Christ and that we too, even in our oppression, when we are oppressed, when we are abused, that we may hold out and extend mercy. Now don't get me wrong, this is not saying that in an abusive situation you need to just put up and shut up. Now, as a church, we should do what we can to protect against abuse. We evolve the appropriate authorities. We need to protect against abuse, but we also need to protect our own hearts. And Jesus frees us from repaying evil with evil. The cross delivers us, and the cross Directs us. See, the cross shows us what mercy is. And mercy is not giving approval, it's not turning a blind eye or an indifference towards evil. Mercy is this transformative kindness. And practically for us, it begins by praying for those who do us harm. You know, whether they do us harm. Intentionally or not. It begins with praying for them. And responding to curse with blessing. It applies to us in our one-to-one relationships. Now when you feel got at, you are freed in Christ to not have to get back at the other person. It applies to us as a church in our relationship with the world. And I think increasingly in some of the things that we we see in culture, we're probably going to experience more and more slander and abuse that comes against us as a church as we seek to follow Christ, as we seek to hold on to the truth in Scripture. And the answer for us in those times is not to play the victim card as we face that. And to use that as some sort of of force and power to silence those who have differing views to us. That is the way the world responds. And the abused just becomes the abuser. And we are freed from that way in Christ. God calls us to a better way, to this transformative kindness. And we're not determined by our past. We're not determined by our, our sufferings and the oppression that we face. We are determined by Christ. In whom we have a sympathetic sufferer. We have a sufficient savior. See, Jesus understands. And we can always come to him. One day, this world of violence Will be done away with, but but now in our weakness, great is his power towards us. The power displayed in the cross, that we who have died to sin might live for righteousness. As we hold on to and as we hold out that transformative kindness as seen in the cross. Of Christ. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have such a a great, sympathetic, and sufficient Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have given us everything that we need to, to live that godly life. Lord, help us, Lord, individually, collectively, together as your church. Lord, as we face injustices in many different forms, Lord, that we would be quick to look to Christ. Lord, that we would see that we have one who knows and understands, who who shares in our suffering. The one with whom we can find sympathy but also in whom we find power. your power to live in accordance with, with your ways, to, to be a light to this world. And we thank you that the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. And one day, Lord, as this world is filled with your glory, the knowledge of your glory as the waters covers the sea, that there will be an end to the violence in this world. and that your rule and reign of peace and righteousness will be known and will be experienced. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, to encourage one another to continue to fix our eyes on Christ. As we look forward to that day, that great and glorious day, of the appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might live for him. Amen.